Welcome to another episode of Failing Success. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Design. Today we have on the show Rick Wells. His company is called Smith Gray, and it's a full-service ad agency. Thanks, Rick, for being on the show today. Great to be here. So, Rick, how do you get into this space? I actually started in a roundabout way. I came into kind of the creative field through the music side. So that's what I originally went to school for and became kind of a writer, session player on corporate and broadcast projects. And as that, I did that for about nine or 10 years. And during that time in working with agencies and producers and that sort of thing, was actually reached out to by a video editing and production company, because oftentimes musicians make good editors. And so it was kind of a, an additional fun part of the craft. But as the industry changed a lot with I mean, the, the pipes and the web got bigger, so you could purchase stock music, just like stock photography, and it kind of put a damper on that. And then, of course, everything moved to desktop versus big post houses and that sort of thing, and people just kind of were able to do it on their own. So it was a big paradigm shift, and I needed to recreate, if you will. And so I, I did a, it was a good thing. I worked in publishing for a while. So I learned a lot about print and media through that. And then, as I'd mentioned, I'd worked closely with a lot of agencies over the years with their creatives and that sort of thing was asked to join a firm and it wasn't the right fit. And I ultimately really, with the region that I lived in and at the time, I was unhirable. Everybody kind of had their spaces filled. And in speaking with people that I knew, I said, well, I can work with you, or I can compete against you. And they said, well, good luck. And uh, here we are 20 plus years later. So I started it as a bootstrap at my kitchen table, literally, and, uh, and, and worked hard and moved up from there. So you, Smith Gray, you've now had for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm sure there's lots of stories about uh, ebbs and flows. <laughs> there are, and, and that has to do with the dynamics within the industry, you know, and uh, different media outlets and how those are utilized. We create for media channels, if you will. So we have those specifically in mind. What's the media buy? What are the spaces we're going to fill? And how is the creative going to work best in that format? And if it's a campaign, how is it going to work multi-platform, if you will? So can you share a story over this 20 year period when you had to make a major shift? Well, I think that's been the most major one has, has to do with, and we're all tired of hearing about it, but the COVID economy and how traditional media other than major major brands has been relatively abandoned so 10 or 15 years ago you know, mostly what we did was was radio television newspaper out of home direct mail and there was a web component to it and back in the early years people would basically translate their brochure to a website and in four years, they would look at it and go, well, we really haven't updated it in a while, so let's give it a refresh. But they basically sat there parked. And so now the dynamic with lower CPMs and media buys and the, the affordability and the accessibility of digital channels has really shifted everything within that. So that's where we've had to, and it wasn't really a catch up game, but to get into the mindset that where someone used to do a campaign or five states 
on radio or regional outdoor campaign, one is really addicted to the data associated with digital. And so we've had to work with clients within that, but we're still continually seeking out interesting or new ways to connect with their audience per se. Brands aren't logos, brands aren't campaigns, but how, where does your customer get their information? How do they want to receive it per se? Maybe they're not a digital audience. And so we're continually looking at that and strategically managing those brands in order to kind of reach their customers where and how they want to be connected with. What's an example of an interesting way you've done that recently? Well, let's see. It could be something as simple as trade shows and expos. So it's not anything necessarily revolutionary per se, but we're, this is an older story, but we had a hospitality client that was super busy during the week with business traffic and their small boutique unflagged hotel and they just weren't filling up on the weekends and so they didn't have a pool it wasn't a destination city per se very beautiful high-end hotel but they really weren't filling on the weekends and as luck would have it my son was an equestrian and there was a big show facility about 10 minutes from the hotel it was packed every weekend so there was two to three hundred horses there much less people and they were all staying just kind of run-of-the-mill hotels. So I told the client, let's put together a basket of horse treats. I bundled them up myself and went with the hotel manager on a Saturday, met people at the horse show and said, have you heard about this hotel? And they've been full every weekend since, as well as their restaurant. They've even started a shuttle service just to the horse show, that sort of thing. So they would wanted to put an ad in Chicago magazine. They could only afford a, just a tiny thumbprint ad. So at the time we said, that's wasting your money. Let's get a, we always like to think in concentric circles as well, as far as strategy. So that's, that's kind of a, a long time ago, but even today it's looking at it and saying, where does your customer live and breathe and how do we reach them per se? with that. And, and that's often a balance with either regional or national accounts. And both can be a blessing and a curse. The regional is more affordable. National is more expensive, but you're not limited per se. So, and we have to fine tune even the digital spends and that sort of thing, and really look at those as, as, as geo-based oftentimes. So we're doing geofencing related to HR and hiring. And so it's within proximity to a facility or those who are hiring. And believe it or not, utilized pump toppers, I think they're called, but gas stations and that sort of thing that was close by so that people were in the area who, and it was a manufacturing facility. So people seeing that they may not be the end result, but they can tell a friend they're hiring. And so HR and recruitment has been a big part of the equation over the last few years as well. So a long answer to a short question, but. That's some interesting ways we've kind of tackled it. Yeah, it's boots on the ground marketing right there. It is, it is. And there's nothing wrong with free impressions. And a lot of times a facility or a company or whoever that happens to be putting up some not very well thought out we're hiring sign doesn't really ring the bell very well. So how is that meaningful to potential hires? What's in it for them? we're hiring is kind of a so what statement, if you will. And so you have to avoid those. 
but actually we've even utilized the sides of 18 wheelers semis and done graphics again free impressions they're traveling out from there every day and it talks about positions available what a great place it is to work that sort of thing so we're looking at other avenues just then social campaigns as the end all be all it's it's a component it certainly is but we're looking at all sorts of other avenues all the yeah, i mean I, I i like the 18 wheelers and even the pump toppers because you have somebody who's spending a bunch of money on gas especially at current gas prices right and they're like well i really need a job <laughs> just to drive right it could be and so and it's not as glamorous if you will now the geofencing has data associated with it and that sort of thing, but it's it's oftentimes now with marketing directors, a tougher sell to say, we're gonna put this on the side of a semi and, it, and 20 of them and to spend the money for them. They're like, what's the ROI? We don't know, yeah. we don't know, but it's free impressions everywhere you go. Yeah. And so, and you know what, even like bus backs or bus sides, you know, and we do stuff on train station platforms, just odd end kind of things that are, yeah, and they're, they're a little bit outside traditional media, but it's not always digital is a hundred percent solution for us. Yeah. You just got to show them how to track the ROI on the 18 wheeler and then they'll be very happy. Well, that's, and there's some simple things you can do. It's easy to set up 800 numbers associated with that was just in that portion of the campaign some things like that you always can't depend on the old how did you hear about us because it's not always accurate but if the call comes in or it's a specific url even qr codes have made a huge comeback obviously it was like they were dead for a long time and now they're everywhere again so some of those can be utilized in that as well is there a, a moment on your 20 year career where you look back and you're like, that was a major pivotal moment for me? The scariest, one of the first scariest ones was to hire a full-time a payroll comes every two weeks and you're responsible as an owner. I take that very seriously. And to say someone's putting their trust in you as, and, and as, a, as a, again, a very small startup as a bootstrap to say, all right, we're, Kim, we're Kim. with me, it was just me at the time. And, uh, but to hire an employee, that first one was a big step and believe it or not to upstarts out there, most people would go toward a billable hour per, in other words, something that's billable to clients immediately, graphic designer, web developer, copywriter, those, those traditional elements that build billings. My first choice, an AE, was account services. It was, it was building that service aspect because I think a lot of agencies would admit that a bulk of what they do isn't creative and it's not even, it's not even billable project related. It's stirring all of that information and the meetings and the emails and the details and the questions and communications with clients. And I just saw that as a very, very important thing. I already had at the time I was utilizing freelancers, which was outside the norm for, for the day. Now it's the norm per se. So using resources that way. So again, hiring that first and then the second and the third and the fourth and, and on and on and the payroll associated with that. And then I think office space, believe it or not, in the day, it's not as pivotal anymore but having brick and mortar 
was important to clientele, the stability, even in our name. Okay. It's, we're not the, the ideation collective or something like that. I'm not knocking anybody else's name, but we needed something that was strong that didn't kind of have that peak small shop associated with it because we handle everything from mom and pop shops up to fortune 50 companies. And so we needed something that was, had that credibility factor to it. So I think that was pivotal in choosing a name, but then having at the time office space and not being now, of course, it's the norm to be, we, we utilize people across the country, but at the time it was having everything under a roof. They could walk in with their people and have meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So that's some, some of the, the junctures that were pivotal for us. Yeah. Those are some great shares there. So Rick, if anybody wanted to reach out to you or to get in touch with Smith Gray, how would they go about doing stuff? Just go to our website and, and Smith Gray is spelled S-M-Y-T-H-G-R-E-Y.com. There's an info email there and our phone numbers, addresses, all of the contacts are there and they can just reach us through our, our web. Well, thank you, Rick, for being on the show. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. I'm Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Design. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.